Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning, church. Um, my name is Ellen Freemian, and my husband's Brandon, who's on staff here, and I wanted to welcome you again this morning. Um, would you please pray for me before we look at God's word? Oh, King of Kings, above all kings, Some of us come today with weary hearts. Um, We're wearied by this ongoing pandemic that we thought would end already. Um, Two years that feel like one long one. Lord, some of us are burdened um, in our spirits. We're we're hungry and thirsty for you. Some of us are burdened by social things, um, strife within our families, strife within our homes, things we need. Um, hurt that we see in our world, just frustrations of the day-to-day. But Lord, we pray that this weary world would rejoice again in you. Lord, you came first to say that, that you were coming through, through a young mother, and she just trusted you, Lord. And so we trust you today, God, as we hear this story again. May it be fresh and new in our hearts. May we rejoice in you and magnify you. And praise. May your word be healing to the hearts that hear it today. In Jesus' name. So for the last two weeks, um, we've been hearing the stories of Advent from Luke 1. And they tell about the angel Gabriel giving miraculous birth announcements. The first announcement comes to an elderly couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And they hear that they will have a son in their old age who will be the answer to their long-time prayers, but who will also, by the power of the Holy Spirit, prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And so when Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy, there's a second angelic birth announcement that comes to her cousin, Mary, who, while still a virgin, will be pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, and her son will be the long-awaited Messiah, and son of the Most High God. So this week we're going to return to Luke 1 to focus on a very poignant story centering on a conversation between these miraculously expectant mothers. Now at first glance, this story may be just seeming to be an endearing interaction between Mary and Elizabeth. It might be good content for a biblically-based Hallmark Christmas movie. But when we take a closer look, we will see two significant things. First, we will see the continued power of the Holy Spirit preparing the way for Messiah's coming. And second, we will see both the personal and global impact that Jesus will have as he comes into the world in Mary's song of praise. So let's look at the scriptures now from Luke 1, 39 and 47, and look specifically for the Holy Spirit's work. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, and she entered into the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting from Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So Mary, having just been told that she was going to be pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, travels about three days to Naz- from Nazareth to see Elizabeth who lives in the hillside of Judea near Jerusalem. Now, Luke does not tell us that Mary has shared the news that the angel has spoken to her with anyone else before this trip to go see Elizabeth. However, as soon as she arrives and greets Elizabeth in her house by the power of the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist, still in his mother's womb, recognizes the unborn baby Jesus and leaps with joy. Then Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? Can you imagine Mary's relief? She doesn't have to explain herself or this very strange angel message. God has beautifully orchestrated this whole thing and this interaction. And no one could be more understanding of Mary or more accepting of her than her also expectant cousin by miraculous circumstances. So I wonder here, has God ever done this for you? Has God ever by the right moment sent the right person to give you encouragement as Elizabeth did for Mary here? Or maybe God has or is placing someone on your heart that that person hasn't told you yet, but you feel like you should speak a word of joy and a word of encouragement as Elizabeth did for Mary. There is nothing like the unsolicited encouragement from a fellow believer. It is a gracious gift from God. But the second interaction that we see in this first section of the passage is between baby John and baby Jesus. In this passage, it is the baby John still in his mother's womb who is the first to recognize the baby Jesus and leap with joy. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, John's mother exclaims, this unborn baby Jesus is to be her Lord. As it says in Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in in the womb, I knew you and I consecrated you. So we have to pause and, and think about this story as evidence of the power that is happening right here for unborn children. They are people, not just potential people, but fully people made in the image of their creator with divinely appointed purpose. And so this biblical text, as well as others, must form our worldview on the personhood of the unborn, as well as the care that we need to have for their mothers. So in humble humanity, Mary and Elizabeth connect as first-time expectant mothers. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they realize that they are blessed beyond their wildest dreams, God himself is in their midst as a human, baby. And they start to exclaim joy and encouragement to one another. So Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed in what the Lord has spoken. And then Mary does not respond saying, I know, like I have this faith and it's awesome, it's strong and powerful and believing in the Lord, it's great, you should join. But instead, She boasts only in the Lord and not in herself. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary's soul, her deepest part of who she is, is so compelled by the grandeur and the glory of God 
that she can do nothing but faithfully follow him. So have you ever experienced this deep joy of following the Lord like Mary, even though it was really tough? There's nothing like it, and the Lord will give you peace. He's promised it. And then she exclaims, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The word rejoice here does not just mean a feeling, it's an action. It means that your joy comes out with a shout and a joy and a song and an exclamation about who God is. Our Lord and Savior is worthy of our celebration, as Mary is about to do. So if we look at this first section of this passage, the Holy Spirit prepares the way for Jesus by enabling John and Elizabeth to recognize Jesus and declare him to be Lord. And the Holy Spirit will similarly work in our hearts so that we may know and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. For me, I see this when God, through the Holy Spirit, gives me clarity and peace and trust in the Lord despite challenging circumstances, the unexplainable peace that you have for knowing Jesus. And then I also recognize the work of the Holy Spirit when he convicts me of my sin or in areas where I need to reconcile with someone else, even though it will be costly. We should follow and rejoice in him as both Mary and Elizabeth do. And now, Mary in this little Judean house on the hillside will lead us in praise for her Lord and Savior. These two ladies, expectant mothers, are in the power of the Holy Spirit are about to have church right here in this little house. So now listen as Mary rejoices as she recognizes both the personal and global impact that her Lord and Savior Jesus will have when he comes. Now we will read Luke 1, 47 through 55. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And for behold, now for all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their heart. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So in her song, Mary says that she is humbled that the sovereign Lord, the creator of the universe, has worked in her life very particularly and very personally. Mary's story exemplifies what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Because of God's work, and her faithful obedience and trust in him, this provincial girl from the little town of Nazareth will be known for generations as blessed. She is to bring to the world his savior. Now Mary's song is written in the past tense as she looks back retrospectively at what God has already done for his people. Her declaration of praise is full of scriptures that she would have grown up hearing and reciting. Mary's song is similar to Hannah's prayer as she gave thanks for her baby to come, Samuel. 
So if you look at 1 Samuel 2, you'll see, my heart exalts the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, and my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Mary also puts together in her song various phrases from the Psalms, again, that she would have grown up reciting, such as Psalm 138, verse 6, the Lord regards the lowly. Or 89.10, you scatter your enemies with your mighty arm. Or 107, uh, verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And then she concludes this beautiful song quoting the covenant promise that God had given way back in Genesis to Abraham. In Genesis 17.7, God says to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout all the generations. This will be an everlasting covenant to be your God to you and to your offspring after you. So the young brothers and sisters among us, I wanted to challenge you to follow in Mary's example. She knew the scriptures. They filled her heart and bubbled out when she declared her song of praise. And she was obedient to God's call in her life. She recognized that it was from the Lord. And so if you want to know more, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's just giving you that longing to follow Jesus, please ask your Sunday school teachers, the deacons, the elders, your parents in this church, because we have made a promise in your baptism, if you were baptized here or dedicated here, to bring you up to know the Lord. And parents and church family, whether you have children of your own or whether you're a spiritual parent, we are also challenged by this to raise up children that are like Mary, that know the scriptures, and when God calls them, they're ready to listen and obey. But Mary's song is not only personal and retrospective, it's also global and prophetic about who Jesus will be. She gives this overview for the whole Gospel of Luke in this, in this very brief poem. She says uh, what Jesus' ministry will be like, and it is sure to be in contrast with what it, the, the rulers of the world were like and what their kingdoms li were like of that day. So in Judea, where she lived, it was under the Roman authority. Rome had been a republic with elected officials for many, many years. But in 27, so about 30 years before this takes place, Octavius had been the self-proclaimed Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus means the illustrious one or the famous one. And there were even inscriptions referring him, to him as the savior, the Lord of Rome, the one who was from the beginning sent forth to bring the Pax Romana or the peace of Rome. Sounds kind of like the beginning of the Gospel of John, isn't it? So can you imagine being a Jewish person at this time? For 700 years, you had been hearing the prophecies from Isaiah about the Messiah to come. And for 500 years before, Daniel had spoken in chapter 9, declaring that the Lord would come to his people and restore Jerusalem, putting it into sin and bringing everlasting righteousness. But instead what you were seeing as the realm of Rome was increasing, and this new guy, the emperor, was declaring himself to be the savior and the Lord. 
pretty disheartening. And then, to add injury to insult, Herod the Great had been appointed king of the Jews in Judea under Emperor Augustus. Now, from a worldly point of view, he was surely great. He was great at building projects. He made a giant port that you can still visit in Caesarea. And he also had renovated the temple, and much to the chagrin of the Jews, he had put an eagle in front of it to give homage to the, to the emperor in Rome. Not only that, but he also had built some things for himself. He built 15 palaces decked out with swimming pools, but his favorite, again, which you can still see today, was Herodium, if you'll show the next slide. So Herodium was built on the hillside of Judea, and it was about three miles from a little town called Bethlehem. So you could see it up on the bluff. And it also overlooked shepherds, where they kept their flocks by night. And it also overlooked the Judean hillside, where Mary and Elizabeth, her cousin, now were. But isn't it just like God? While these people, Augustus and Herod, were on their self-deifying quests to show their own greatness, our sovereign God says, you want to see greatness? I'm coming into the world like a baby to these very humble women here and my mission will be to feed the hungry, to lift up the humble, and the rich and powerful, who are powerful in their own might, will be brought down so that you will know who really is the king. And where did God's kingdom begin? With an old barren woman whose son would herald the coming of the king that was to be born to a little teenager. So Jesus enters history as the Lord and Savior but he will not show his mighty arm as a human king would with military might. But instead, Jesus will be speaking words of truth and love and acting in justice and mercy. But Jesus' words are not just nice. Look at these pictures to, to remind us of all the work of acts and love and mercy that Jesus did. Jesus' words and his actions are transformational to those who will accept them and they baffle the Jewish and Roman leaders. And Jesus ultimately shows his mighty arm with his greatest act of love and mercy and justice, that being his death on the cross. This death on the cross, so humble, insulting, is so powerful that it can blot out all of our transgressions, and it can conquer the ultimate end to sin, and that's death. And he proved that with his resurrection. What a Lord and what a Savior we have. So in this declaration of praise, Mary sets an example for those who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. If we have truly encountered the mighty and merciful works of God personally, our souls have nothing to do but to magnify and rejoice in him. But Mary also tells us how we should think about our salvation. Jesus is both a personal and a global Lord and Savior. Personally, when we trust in Jesus, we accept him as Savior and Lord, as Mary and Elizabeth did, so that our sins are forgiven and we can live in his presence forever. But when we trust him as Lord, that means that he gets to tell us what to do. He calls the shots. He tells us what to think and how to be and how to act. And he personally gave us an example of what that looked like in his ministry. 
He's done mighty things, things we would never dream of doing. And he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy to be called our Lord and for us to follow him. But we also have to look globally. Jesus states, when Mary enters the world, society will change. Those who the world considers worthy of praise and power are to be made powerless before the true Lord and Savior. And those who are great in their own eyes are humbled. Whereas the humble, like Mary, who wait upon the Lord and are obedient to him, are lifted up and called blessed for generations. The hungry are fed. God's mercy is shown to those who fear him. Jesus did all these things himself in his ministry while he is here, was here on earth. And by doing so, he showed us what kind of king he is and what kind of kingdoms his should look like. And now like Mary, we too wait in eager expectation for Jesus' coming. And we wait knowing that our Lord and Savior has commissioned us, his church, by the power of the Holy Spirit to go and declare and act in what kind of kingdom his is until he comes again. N.T. Wright, a famous theologian and historian, says it like this, that Jesus' salvation has not only come to us, but as followers of him, it is to come to the world through us by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. We must reflect to the world what kind of Lord and Savior it is that we worship. He did not bring down the world's powerful rulers with violence or war or tearing down their, their palaces, but he came to forgive sin, and he brought physical and spiritual healing, and he changed hearts. And so we must now do likewise on both a personal and a global scale until our Savior and Lord comes to reclaim his kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom will look like this. It will be a people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation who will magnify their Lord and rejoice in him, in his very presence. Can you see now how on this little, in this little house on the Judean hillside, Mary and Elizabeth give us a little foretaste of what that day will be like for us when we will be in the Lord's presence forever. Um, I really love um, old hymns because they, they tell the stories of Jesus and they tell them from the beginning and they also tell, usually in the last verse, what our life will be like on that day when we get to be in the presence of the Lord. So as I was thinking about the story and about God's kingdom coming, I thought about the old hymn, Lead On, O King Eternal. And I wanted to share it with you as a closing prayer so that it would be our prayer together as Jesus' church. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease and holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing 